Hello, everyone. Welcome to Robin. Everyone loves the Drake comic podcast. I'm your host, Rob Myers, and this is brought to you by the BatmanUniverse.net. And you're going to hear me say that again in just a little bit. Uh, what this beginning part, uh, I guess you could call it the cold opening of the show, uh, something I've decided to do since we're taking a look at basically uh, Tim Drake, Robin's uh, perspective in the Nightfall saga. There's going to be some books that I'm not going to be covering in the podcast with Terrence or, or whomever we have on here as a guest. So uh, what I thought about doing was, uh, for the books that we're not covering, people uh, really seem to be liking the radio drama. And I thought, well, that may just be how I open the show. Like, here's you know, kind of what has been going on leading up to the books we're getting ready to talk about when we start jumping. And in episode 31 here... We take a one-issue jump, and then we're going to start jumping a little bit more as we're really only going to be following uh, Tim Drake through the Nightfall saga. And I go into that a little bit once we come out of it. Uh, so what you're going to hear right now is uh, the radio drama for uh, Batman 493, if I have my note uh, correct here. That'll be for Nightfall Part 3, and it's the fight with Zaz. So it's uh, a little, little short, and then we'll go into the main part of the show. And then we'll be looking at uh, Detective Comics 660 and Batman 494. So without further ado, here is part three of the radio drama, and we will see you guys on the other side of this, and we'll start into the show. Come on, Robin. To the Batcave. We haven't one moment to lose. Exiting Ellsworth Plaza. Monitoring police frequencies. Racing through the grave. Already feel dead, but I can't rest. Not after the Arkham breakouts. Attention all units. Mr. Zez, serial killer, recently escaped from uh, Arkham Asylum. Hold up in Bates School for Women. Hostages. Send tactical squads at once. No rest for the wicked, nor those who dare deal with them. Please, let me go! Fine. <laughs> Consider the arm that chokes you. You see the marks? Self-inflicted, everyone. All lovingly etched. Souvenirs to take everywhere. Of my every sin. My glory. And you are about to be honored with your own... Drop the knife, Jash. You're under arrest. My point! No! Let her go or I shoot! Back up, now, on the second floor. You daren't shoot, pretty cop. My reflex would still cut her throat. Damn. Okay, take me then instead. There's the gun. Very good. Very trusting. Come here. Ah, fool. I shall make an extra deep cut for you. Enough blood, Josh. Enough blood, Batman? There's never enough blood. Once a, a slip of the knife, and the pretty cop gets it. Batman, I tried bargaining with him. Exchange myself for the hostage. You did your best, Officer Montoya. Did your best? As if you were a cop? You're not. You're just like me. A stalker, a predator, and you love it. Don't you, Batman? Yes, sicko! You You're just like me. Both burn for hell! I'm not like you, killer. All right, stop it! That's enough! I've got him, Batman! Enough! Enough? No, too much. Way too much. 
You don't like the Drake. I hate the Drake. I love the Drake. How could you not like the Drake? Who's the Drake? Who's the Drake? The Drake is good. Do you like the Drake? I love the Drake. Welcome to Robin, Everyone Loves the Drake Comic Podcast. This podcast will take a chronological look at the third boy to wear the mantle of Robin, Tim Drake. We will start with Tim's origin and then make our way to Tim's ongoing Robin series that went 183 issues. So sit back, relax, and find out why everyone loves the Drake. Good for them. Love the Drake. Got to love the Drake. I'm impressed. What can I say? I'm irresistible. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Robin, Everyone Loves the Drake Comic Podcast. This podcast is brought to you by the BatmanUniverse.net, your home for all things Batman and Robin, whom is celebrating 75 years this year. Happy Thanksgiving, everyone. Um, if I'm doing my math right, and usually I don't, but I believe I am, uh, this episode should be out on Thanksgiving Day. So if you're in your car driving to uh, grandma's or grandma grandpa's or your parents' house or wherever it might be, maybe you're taking Robin Everyone Loves the Drake along with you for your drive. This is episode 31. We're continuing our navigating through uh, the Batman Nightfall saga, which uh, ushers in Tim Drake's Robin series that won 183 issues, and I'm flying solo this uh, episode, as Terrence is on vacation, and they went to Disney and didn't take me along. I did, I wasn't going to take much at all, you know. I probably would have brought back a bunch of stuff, seeing that's where a lot of Star Wars stuff <laughs> would be. But hopefully Terrence is having a wonderful vacation uh, with he and his family before uh, he gets back for Thanksgiving. Uh, Terrence and I have been doing double duty also at the BatmanUniverse.net as he and I and Luke and Ian joined us on the last episode, and I think Ian will be back for episode three on um, the Batman Universe Specials podcast, where we're looking at Batman and Robin Eternal. So that's what Terrence and I have been doing. We've been kind of doing double duty on podcast, and in recording the last episode of Batman and Robin Eternal, it kind of uh, skewed when we were going to be able to do Robin Everyone Loves the Drake, and it just didn't work out for Terrence to be part of this uh, episode, like I said. So I am assuming he's probably listening uh, in his car like he normally does, and he said he'll definitely you know check it out since he's not on the episode. So, hey, Terrence, how are you doing? Um, like uh, Terrence and I were talking in the previous episode, in episode 30, uh, that uh, 31 is going to be the start where we're going to start jumping in the Nightfall saga uh, a little bit, and we're going to be primarily following Tim Drake, as this is a Tim Drake-centered uh, podcast. Uh, the uh, Batman fan of me and the fan of the Nightfall, Nightfall series makes me want to go. Let's just go through every single issue because I love uh, the uh, Nightfall storyline. This this is the thing that really anchored me into buying weekly comics um, because I was kind of still in and out um, 
of buying comics um, right up until nightfall started. Um, I had just I got my driver's license right around when this came up, so I had a little bit more freedom to go to a comic book shop and actually pick up books on the weekly basis when these were coming out. Because I think uh, Detective Comics and Batman were on a bi-weekly basis. And then once um, we get towards the latter end of the Night Quest, then it became weekly because you had Robin in there, you had Catwoman, um, you had Legends of the Dark Knight, and you know all the other books that were incorporated in it. So uh, this really became... Um, something that really got me interested into buying comics and the death of Superman, um, was going into its second phase at that point. So I was picking up both Batman and Superman at the same time and seeing how vastly different, uh, the DC universe was going to be, uh, without Superman and then leading up to, uh, the breaking of Batman. And, you know, this is, we're looking at, uh, part four and part five today. We're skipping, uh, issue three, because uh, there isn't a whole lot of Tim Drake in that from the previous uh, episode in 30. Uh, we're following the story beat where uh, Tim Drake is following uh, Talon and Bird and wanting to see uh, where Talon is located uh, while Batman was fighting in the Mad Hatter. So in um, the issue that we're missing is the fight with Zaz. So what I'm going to do that you've already heard, but uh, <laughs> this is basically an editorial note for myself as I'm recording this, the lead in to uh, this particular episode, as you just heard, uh, is the fight with Zaz. So even though I'm not going to be discussing it, uh, for those people that are still really liking the radio drama, I thought this would be a good way to you know at least let you um, hopefully hear the whole entire entire thing in the small little chunks. So depending on how I edit this, this part may not even be here, or I may cut and splice and put it at the very beginning of the episode. So just some little editorial notes for myself. It'll be interesting to see how I uh, edit all this together. So that's what the podcast is going to do as far as the discussion and the issues that uh, Terrence and I, and um, I've got a line on Tim over at the Bat Fans. Uh, I believe he's going to be coming over at some point. Uh, probably when we get closer to the breaking of Batman and talk about that uh, very important issue, um, that we're really going to be following uh, the Tim Drake side of everything and the events that are going to lead into the big reason why I started this podcast to begin with is getting to the Robin uh, ongoing series, which I initially I wanted to do uh, and get there by the end of, you know, to celebrate 2016 and go, here we go. We're celebrating uh, Robin, uh, Robin's solo series. Um, the podcast uh, initially was supposed to be biweekly and just like everything else, you know, life and everything else is getting in the way. So I apologize for people that were really kind of wanting a biweekly podcast. Um, I haven't talked to Terrence yet, but I'm assuming he's listening to this, that I think when Terrence and I are, are whomever is going to be recording with this, um, my goal is to record two episodes at a time. So we'd only be recording once a month, hopefully in the beginning of the month, and we'll do two episodes at the same time, so that way we can kind of churn out um, the bi-weekly podcast and get this moving a little bit quicker so we can get to the Robin ongoing series. And for a lot of people, uh, Tim Drake is and always will be their favorite Robin. I've gone on record in saying, you know, uh, it, I love Damien right now in the current DC Comics. I, it's cool that he, 
it took me a while to warm up to Damien, um, but I can still rest my hat on Tim Drake being a Robin. He's just a red one. Um, I'm thoroughly enjoying um, Batman and Robin Eternal right now. Robin War is coming up. So this uh, being a Robin fan, I feel like I can finally uh, just uh, celebrate everything that Robin has for 75 years. So uh, thank you guys that have stuck through uh, 31 episodes up to this point. I hope you're enjoying the podcast. Um, I would love to read emails and questions that you guys have. You can do so. Um, you can send me one at r10myers, that's r10myers, at yahoo.com. I believe in the new year I'm going to be having a an email and a Twitter account for this podcast. That's something I've been wanting to do, and I've just been dragging my uh, my feet long enough, and I think it'll be nice to be able just to have a, a separate email and Twitter uh, for this podcast. I really want to kick it off uh, in a really good way in 2016. So I would like to think we're going to get up to the breaking of Batman in the December podcast. Um, I don't think that's going to happen. I This could be the last part of Nightfall. I'm thinking about doing another Christmas episode. Again, I want to talk with Terrence and see how he wants to do that. Maybe we'll do two episodes in the month of December, and we do have an episode of Batman and Robin Eternal coming up too. So hopefully you guys are enjoying the content uh, that uh, I'm putting out for Robin. And I know there's a lot of Robin fans out there and getting to the Robin ongoing series, I think it really has some people excited and that's, that was my comic book series. And I, I still say if the Tim Drake character was able to have 183 issues and then you tack on, I think 26 issues of the Red Robin series. There's no reason why DC can't go back and give Tim Drake a proper comic book series again. So now that we got all that out of the way, and maybe you've arrived at Grandma's house for Thanksgiving, so this could be a good spot to pause it really quick, go eat some turkey, and then come back, or maybe on your drive back, uh, we'll get into the radio drama that takes a look at the next two books that we're looking at, and that'll be Detective Comics 660 and Batman 494, uh, parts 4 and 5 of Nightfall. And without further ado, welcome to the show.
All right, before we get into the radio drama, let me give you the information uh, that I pulled here from mikesamazingworld.com. Uh, the information for Detective Comics number 660 reads as follows. Cover date, late May 1993. On street, sale date, April 6, 1993. The cover price was a whopping $1.25. Whew. I'm sure that was expensive to me back then in 93. Uh, the page count is 32. The editor is Dennis J. O'Neill. The title is entitled Crocodile Tears. Uh, this is really interesting. It says page count is 32, pages 23. So it must be uh, the actual pages front and back. I'm probably reading too much into that. Um, the information reads as follows. Uh, the writer is Chuck Dixon. The penciler is Jim Ballant, making a guest appearance in the series. The inker is Scott Hanna. The letters is John Costanza. There, I gotta say Costanza again. Uh, colorist is Adrian Roy. Uh, this has been reprinted in Batman Nightfall Part 1, Broken Bat Trade Paperback of 1993, and then in the newer version of Batman Nightfall Volume 1 Trade Paperback in 2002. The information for Batman 494 reads as follows. The cover date is early June 1993. On sale date, April 13th, 1993. Cover price, $1.25. Page count, 32. The editor, again, of course, is Dennis J. O'Neill. The story is entitled Night Terrors. Page count, 22. So that must be what it is. Um, uh, the writer is Doug Mensch. Pencilers, Jim Aparo. The inker is Tom Mandrake. Letters, Richard Starking. And colorist is Adrian Roy. Uh, and it's been reprinted exactly the same way in Batman Nightfall trade paperback, 1993. And again, the newer version, the Nightfall Volume 1 trade paperback, 2012. And without further ado, we'll go into the BBC radio drama and looking at parts four. <laughs> and looking at parts four and five of the series. Batman's at the end of his rope. He hasn't even run up against the Major League crazies that we let out of Arkham, and already he's looking beat. We will let him run a little more of the gauntlet. Yeah. I want to know his most extreme limits of endurance. This is not good. After all, this is the man who stands between me and Gotham City. Robin's Batman on closed channel. Are you reading me? Batman! Empire. Oh, God. I better get out of here. And I'm taking no chances. Better use an underground route back to the car. What is it, Bane? Did you hear something? Overhead. I can't see nothing. And back to the Chuck Dixon show. Our guest is Dr. Simpson Flanders. He's here to try and make sense of this whole Arkham situation. Dr. Flanders, we got streets full of wackos with assault rifles, and you think you have a solution? Well, as I reveal in my book, I'm sane, and so are you. The mentally divergent should be made to feel at ease in our environment. Climate of mistrust can make them insecure in their choice of lifestyle. We've got a body count close to triple digits, Dr. Flanders. That's a lifestyle. This was a dumb idea, boy wonder. Should have stayed put till Bane and his boys moved off. Above ground. Oh, smells bad enough. But the sewer's like a labyrinth. And I have a big feeling I'm being followed. Robbie, your efforts at concealment were adequate to deceive my partners. But I am different. Bane! Very curious about you. You hate the Batman, and yet you are just a boy. Yeah, I find myself hanging around the uh, weirdest people. At your age, I learned to kill. Why do we?
Kung Fu Shadow. Batman, if you can hear this, I'm in the city sewer. Bane and Killer Croc are duking it out down here, and I'm stuck in the middle. Batman, great. Whichever sicko wins this contest, I lose. What's that noise? You'll pay for breaking my arms. You're in my world now, Bane. I will swim out of here, freak. Your corpse will float to the East River. He's not kidding. It's high tide about now, and here it comes. Mr. Deadwiler? Mr. Deadwiler, returning at all? Good evening, Mr. Deadwiler. Sorry to have had to break into your apartment like this, but... We need your help. Get that sock off your hand and we'll talk, ventriloquist. Holy, I, I thought Arkham Asylum was supposed to unscramble your brains. Tell him, Sarko. We want to know where Scarface got to. This is all about Scarface? That stupid puppet you call your boss? You're nuts. Why should I help you find anything? You'll do it because this gun is loaded and bullets make nasty holes, Deadweiler. Darned if you do, darned if you don't. That sock humor comes so hard. Who's there? Joe. Joe who? Joe. You. What do you want? <laughs> Come now, Scarecrow, old friend. This doesn't bode well for us being partners, does it? Partners? May we? Gotham City is running scared of its own shadow. I may thought myself to team up with someone who knows a trick or two about fear and how to inspire it. We could carve up this town. You, with your fear gas. Me, with my charisma. We'll start by dealing with Commissioner Gordon. Gordon? Small potatoes. Let's deal with the organ grinder, not his monkey. Oh, 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 very good. Yes, 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 indeed. Oh, yes. Oh. You could have drowned. I don't want you confronting Bane again. Like that's on my wish list. <laughs> when the outflow washed me into the storm drain, I was only sorry to see him crawl out further down. Ow, Alfred, that's hot. Breathe the vapors, Master Tim. You'll be lucky to escape with pneumonia. Whatever his yearning for power, he's developed a darker purpose. Sure he has. To destroy you. And you're falling for it. There's no alternative. I cannot, will not, let the maniacs take over. But uh, how about drafting some help? Uh, Asriel, maybe. Jean-Paul is formed. Maybe even up to the task. But Bane is after me. And as long as I am still standing, this is my business. The entire Arkham breakout's been mishandled from the beginning, Gordon. And if you don't do something about it in 24 hours, I'm asking the governor to break out the National Guard. Mayor Kroll, if you do that... All I have to do to make things happen is pick up the phone. And that includes trashing your career. Those are the customers present at the taproom bar during the frenzied attack by Arkham escapee Amygdala, who were even willing to talk, indicated that Gotham City's Batman was looking tired after he subdued the former asylum inmate. The plan is working. You sure, Bane? He still succeeded. He put another one back in Arkham. But the cost to him is high, both physical and mental. He's reeling, and soon he will be ready to fall. <laughs> Oh, Mr. Mayor! Mayor Crow! Oh, wake up! How did you get time? 
smell. Horrible. Can't stop the nightmare. No, no, you're not real. Oh, yes, but we are real, Mr. Bear. Very real. And your bodyguards downstairs got a test. Were they still capable of speech? No. This is wonderful, Scarecrow. The gas has reduced him to a gibbering crack. What do you want? It's time to exercise a little executive power, Mayor Crawl. You just have to pick up the phone. We'll do the rest. All right, that was part three and part four of the BBC radio drama for the complete Nightfall saga. I have mine on cassette tape, and uh, I found it digitally uh, years later. Um, I think you can actually buy this digitally off of um, Amazon, I think still, and maybe able to get a hold of the cassette tape too i know a friend of mine in scotland uh, has a version of this uh, mine is red and yellow i believe that's uh, not right out in front of me right at the moment uh, his is all white and it's in a nice little book so i'm actually kind of jealous of uh, his copy uh, of this uh, most of the radio drama um, is pretty faithful to the comic book. Uh, as you've been kind of listening to this, something that I used to do uh, when this came out, probably a year after uh, Nightfall was done, I used to listen uh, to this, put my headphones on in my room, and then I would pull out all the comic books and I would read along. So there are some spots where they kind of jump in time a little bit or uh, they may omit some sections out or give dialogue maybe to certain other characters. Um, I think at some point it's a mix of the comic and it's um, also a mixture of the novel uh, written by uh, Chuck Dixon and uh, Denny O'Neill. So the novel was kind of com- kind of compressed all the comic books together, and uh, I feel like the radio drama is kind of that way. But it's it is really really pretty close, and I really like that there's a score and there's sound effects and I mean. Still to this day, you know, 20 some odd years later, I still listen to this uh, just as, you know, I'm cleaning the house or I'm sorting and bagging and boarding my comics. I'll throw this on or uh, the No Man's Land or radio drama, which is pretty cool. I listen to that one quite a bit as well. And I always liked those things. Uh, As a kid, I used to have uh, the little uh, records, like the little 45s of like the story of Star Wars or Huckleberry Finn, you know, and uh, uh, McGilla Gorilla and and, all that Hanna-Barbera stuff. I used to have a lot of those type of things as Star Trek, you know, little uh, records that I would get that would be based off of the search for Spock or Wrath of Khan. I got a whole stack of those. And, uh, Something I always liked that they, uh, the ones that were really good, that were really memorable, were the ones that treated it uh, like it's a a real thing. They took it very sincere, uh, very earnest, as Kevin Smith would say, where uh, the voice actors that they have are really acting the parts out. And there's sound effects and there's a music score. So um, I love the radio drama for that. And um, I, I've always had this dream. I thought, wouldn't it be cool if they just animated to that radio drama? And then I would start going, well, maybe replace the Batman voice with Kevin Conroy, you know, and get Mark Hamill as the Joker in there. And um, so uh, we've heard already uh, in Robin, Everyone Loves the Drake podcast, Mark Hamill's version of the Joker. If you go back uh, to 
I'm trying to think what episode it is as I'm trying to scroll back uh, through them uh, really quickly. You would think I would have this uh, a little bit more. Uh, Robin 2, The Joker's Wild. And that is, oh, I do have it correct. It is uh, episode 18 and 19 both, where if you're like, I missed the Mark Hamill Joker. Well, I used the radio drama back there that was in the Legends of Robin radio drama that kind of was doing the Jason Todd and Tim Drake kind of origin story. So that was always my dream for the radio drama, but I, I like the casting as it is. There's there's a few people, like the voice of the Joker, I'm not really sold on too much. I think he really uh, goes off the rails a little bit more than the Joker would, and maybe it's just because uh, I've been so accustomed to hearing Mark Hamill do the Joker for so long, and, and even Troy Baker um, recently in the Arkham games and the Lego video games. So I know he's doing more of a copy of Mark Hamill, but still it's, it's, it's in that, that same frame. So, but for the most part, I, I think everything is done really well. Um, later in this particular, uh, issue in, uh, six sixty and detective comics, uh, one of my favorite bits, and we'll get to it in a little bit is, uh, Sacco. <laughs> uh, when he goes to uh, Mr. Deadweiler, attorney at law, <laughs> that's on page seven. I'm jumping. Uh, that is one of my favorite parts of the uh, radio drama. And uh, I always used to mimic that voice. So uh, as I'm editing this together, I kind of rewound that a couple different rewound. Geez, listen to me. I am showing my age. Yeah, I rewound, <laughs> moved the slider bar back and kept repeating that. Um, so uh, we'll get into uh, Crocodile Tears, which is the uh, uh, title of uh, Detective Comics 660. And I think Terrence and I mentioned it on the last episode. Um, I don't think... It was actually until part three in Batman 493 that I really started to pay attention to the bat signal or the bat symbol up in the corner that had like the number three, four, five, etc. And you would slowly start to see uh, the fade go from the left to the right where you started to see the purple background and the red bat that would eventually uh, be the Azrael Batman symbol. I would like to say I was smart enough to know back in episode or by the second issue that I could tell, Ooh, there was a sliver there. There was so much going on. The covers, uh, covers, uh, yeah, covers. Um, I bought said cupboards (laughs) in the, uh, covers that, um, I don't think I actually started noticing it till I saw a sizable chunk out of there. I thought that was really cool. Then once I picked that, I noticed that. Then I started looking at every single issue. Then I would, you know, kind of stack them all together just so I could see the tops of them. And I could slowly see the transition and I think it was around this issue that I started having, uh, you know, questions and some concerns of going, what does this mean? You know, surely, you know, nothing's going to happen to Batman. He's going to fight this bad guy, this Bane guy that seemed to come out of nowhere. And Batman's going to win the day and uh, Robin's going to get more training. It's going to be Batman and Robin like I have have enjoyed all the way through this series. I don't know if I actually had any inkling of what was going to happen once like a new, I don't even know if I thought a new logo was going to appear at all. Again, I would like to think I had like, Oh, I bet when it comes, when this purple logo with the red bat shows, we're going to get something brand new. I don't even think I even had that inkling at the beginning, which I kind of miss those days. Now, um, the, Dark Knight Returns Part 3, uh, The Master Race, I believe is what it's called. 
Uh, there's already a spoiler out there. I'm not going to say it here in case you haven't seen it on Facebook, but I I miss those days of, you know, if I didn't pick up Wizard Magazine or, you know, getting spoiled in comics back in the 80s, 90s, 70s, you know, whenever you were reading prior to, you know, the mid-2000s, spoiler stuff didn't happen. You found out what happened in the comic as you flipped through. Unless you were, you know, eager like I was, you may flip through at the comic book store unless, you know, your comic guy was really good to, hey, you know, read it page by page. You know, don't don't spoil the end in the parking lot. And usually what I would do, as soon as I paid for it, I went in the car and I read it in the car and then I would come back in the store and be like, oh my gosh, you know, I, I can't believe, you know, such and such happened. But I was always smart enough to, when I walked in, if somebody else was buying the issue that I just bought, I didn't blurt out the answer and say whatever it was. So I, I miss those things. I think with the solicitations that they do now, you could potentially not buy a comic book at all anymore and just wait for the monthly solicitations to go and say, oh, so that's what happened in that particular issue. So when I see the solicitations come up, I'm always very hesitant to to look at them or to read. Uh, the only time I really paid it for the solicitations or to look at them is to go, oh, maybe this is a new action figure that's coming out or in the month of January coming up next year is going to be uh, coloring comic book covers or they, they're labeled as adult comic book coloring covers. When you throw the word adult there, I said that to my wife. She's like, uh, what type of comic book is it? I'm like, it's a blank cover and it's just like a dark pencil line and you get a color the front of the comic book yourself, which I think is really kind of cool. It's a, a new craze that's kind of going on. But anyway, I've really diverted uh, the discussion away from this particular <laughs> issue that we're getting ready to talk about other than saying I really miss those days of not knowing what you're getting into or what you're reading until you pick up this issue, uh, the current issue that was in the in the store at the time. And I really, I really had no idea from issue to issue. And I thought this the first chunk of Nightfall was really paced out, you know, very very well. And I think they had a little bit more time with the this first half of Nightfall and you know Night Quest. Uh, you know we'll we'll say we'll table that. Um, I could continue to keep this going. I'm sure somebody's going. Hey Rob, let's talk about six sixty here. So let's in fact do that. Um, all, all the information that I'm going that I gave about the synopsis, I believe I said, came from Mike's Amazing World. I think I forget to do that every now and then. So. Uh, a I apologize, Mike's Amazing World. Uh, Mike'sAmazingWorld.com is a great website just for a resource if you're trying to look up um, comic information of what year it was published or maybe who did the writing credits or who penciled whatever. Uh, sometimes it's kind of hard to read some of that stuff depending on how they put it in here. Um, and a lot of us podcasters use this quite a bit, so I highly recommend Mike's Amazing World. And it's just a cool resource to be able to check things out. Um, I'm looking at their website right now. And it's always, this is a good example of trying to find out, you know, who did the pencils here uh, on the front cover. I always thought it was Kelly Jones. And as I'm looking at the two side by side, um, you know, I can clearly tell that Kelly Jones' signature on Batman 494 is completely different than uh, Sam Keith's signature. But I, as you started to follow maybe some of your favorite artists, you kind of knew, oh, this is how Sam Keith did that. And you can kind of tell it says Keith there. You can kind of see uh, the K and the H. And the H, I always thought, looked more like a, a T. But um, 
this uh, particular issue, being a Tim Drake Robin fan, really had me, uh, you know, had my attention right away. Like, okay, here's Robin, where it looks like he's in some type of cave. He's obviously in water. Half of his costume is tattered and torn. He's got um, a blindfold on, and he's tied around the legs and the arms. And here is a very caricaturistic version of Bane and Killer Croc and going... Oh, please don't tell me they're going to do something to Tim Drake in this uh, series. This is how we're going to lose another Robin. And, uh, you know, Terrence and I have said before, sometimes the image that's on the front of the cover has nothing to do with what is on inside the interior of the book. And for the most part, um, the Nightfall series, almost, I wouldn't say every cover, but almost every cover gave you like, this is something that's going to be in the book. And this does very much happen. And even though, you know, I'm a big Tim Drake fan, I knew right away, um, I might be able to believe that Tim might be able to fight off killer croc if he's fast enough, but seeing what has already happened to some other people like film freak in the series and just the sheer brutality of Bane, there was no part of me that thought Robin is not going to be able to hold his own against uh, Bane at all. So we'll go into uh, the interior of the book here. Uh, as you can tell here at the top, a crocodile tears is what uh, this particular issue is called. And I, I always love a good opening splash page that kind of sets everything up, gives you a little, you know, narrative. We have a, a rat right in the foreground and i noticed right away that jim ballant uh is the guest uh penciler and it lists him as guest penciler and i believe this is the only uh, issue he does uh in the nightfall series and i was really happy that it was a tim drake robin story for the most part and really getting to see what balance uh jim balance version of Tim Drake and Batman uh, would look like. I got to say, though, I'm not as impressed by his Batman. And and I'll talk a little bit about that once we get there. Um, and maybe that's done on purpose to kind of show um, the wear on Batman. But I believe everybody else in this is uh, spot on. And it's, there's something very familiar with his uh Batman and Robin, just the the whole entire Bat uh, universe, uh, just the detailing in Killer Croc's eyes, and they make a mention here. Uh, it said it comes from the translucent membrane that covers the crocodile's eyes and is the sheen that flashes across them. Um, I I don't know why um, I always liked that wording. I just thought it just seemed really cool, and any you know reptilian always has those weird eyes and uh, he definitely captures that right here and it's a little bit more of kind of uh, Terrence has said this was like a, a hiccup that he didn't like to see quite a bit and it the more the Nightfall Saga went on I kind of saw it too it was always like the first few pages were like a, a catch up for people that hadn't been reading like if this was your first issue I understand why they do it. Like, okay, here's Killer Croc. Let me tell you what you need to know about Killer Croc and kind of what has gone on from the previous issue if you didn't get a chance to pick up the previous issue. Because for quite a few issues up until the breaking of Batman, it seemed like every issue were people's jumping on point. Like, this was their, like, for some people, issue 
660 or part four was their first Batman comic. It was like Terrence said, people were like, oh, you know, I'm going to pick up an Aquaman and I'm hearing a lot about, uh, you know, Batman. So throw Detective Comics in there. Or, you know, if Detective Comics and Batman were both out at the same time, they may have picked up four and five at the same time. I can't remember exactly when they came out because I, I haven't read all the information on Mike's Amazing World and the synopsis yet. <laughs> a little uh, podcast uh, editing there. Um, so uh, for a while, uh, for those of us that were like, oh, I already know this, I always kept in the back of my mind that somebody, uh, Stan Lee has said that you know, every comic is somebody's first comic. That somewhere down the line, you may be have followed the whole entire series. You may have all six hundred and or six hundred fifty nine issues of Detective Comics, but for somebody, six sixty was their very first one. So you always had to do a, a little bit of a catch up when you were telling a a longer story. So we kind of get that. So we can kind of go through here, of, you know, kind of the things that were going on with Killer Croc, kind of prior to Nightfall, and then uh, more coming out of the beating that he took uh, from Bane in one of our previous episodes. And we find that uh, Talon has returned back to Bane and and Bird, and uh, this is where uh, Robin's part of the story comes in. And um, I I just love and Terrence always kind of pokes at me a little bit. <laughs> My highest praise for art is like, oh, this should be a poster. I don't know if it should be a poster, but um, I would like. Uh, okay, probably a poster. <laughs> uh, just a shot of Tim, uh, Tim Drake Robin up in the rafters up underneath the bridge uh, after he'd been tracking uh, Bird and Talon back to Bane. Um, on the bottom of uh, page five, those two panels, more importantly, the next to last panel on five. I just think that's really cool where... Um, drew Tim very much like how Batman would be. Robin looks very much like like his mentor would be. And I, I like the slow evolution of Tim Drake's character as the whole Nightfall saga goes on. It's almost like Batman and Robin at a certain point will swap places where Tim was very much obviously the novice for quite a while under the tutelage of Batman. But during the nightfall, Batman is burning the candle at every single end possible. And then some where he's starting to make mistakes that Robin would. So Robin has to start, start playing more of the mentor role, so to speak, and and is pointing out things to Batman that Robin really shouldn't have to be pointing out, even though Batman would say, yes, I know, but, but I need to do this. You, Tim reluctantly is like, you know, okay, you know, I'm going to do what you say, but you start seeing that Tim is making more sense than what Bruce is, but you know, we'll kind of see that a little bit later. Um, it, it's always interesting when, uh, a different artist take over or just the methodology of how Batman and Robin communicate to each other. Usually they've got an earpiece in usually in Batman's cowl. Um, and I've seen it, uh, before this, that it's usually in Robin's ear. So he's, you know, putting his finger to his ear. This looks like his communicator device is on his collar, which actually kind of makes more sense that it would be close to the vocal cords. And you can kind of tell the balance drew, you know, the two fingers up against uh, Robin's uh, collar there on his cape and to kind of signify, you know, he's pushing his communicator device. And then by the next book, somebody else is going to go back to the ears or whatever. 
Um, on page six, we kind of see the aftermath of the uh, fight with Zaz. And um, I kind of said I didn't really like Balance Batman. And let me clarify that I do like Balance Batman. Uh, but he drew him in a way that Batman is, his costume is torn, it's tattered, he's got an ear that's kind of uh, twisted here, and he's laying on top of the rooftop. And I just thought this is an awkward look for Batman. So he's drawn very well, but it's it's a Batman that I, that we're not used to. We're not used to seeing. We may see a Batman that his costume is torn or part of his cape is ripped or something like that. But Batman is standing tall and proud, and he has won and been victorious. He's laying on the side of a building, and if he rolls over, he's going to fall off the side of it. And that's and that's showing us the weariness and the uneasiness. Uh, that is coming across the reader of Batman. Like, this isn't the Batman I'm used to reading. Why is he going so full tilt into this? And it's exactly the plan that uh, Bane wants to see happen to Batman. And I love the third panel uh, that kind of bleeds down into actually the sixth panel. And you can see uh, Balant does like a panel and a panel where we get a close-up of Batman. And then it kind of pulls out into uh, the panel that the kind of the up down sh- upside down shot of Batman is where we kind of see Batman on the roof. And then the one I like where you see the Bates school school for girls where uh, the fight with Zaz took place, where you just see the cape fluttering uh, off the top of the building. So probably from the people on the street below, hey, Batman's up on top of the roof and he's, you know, standing victorious. Although for us, the reader, we know he's, you know, lying down on his back and is having a very hard time pulling himself back together. And he'll have a confrontation, uh, not a confrontation, but a little small meeting with a bullock in a few pages here. But, um, I like, uh, and I became a fan of Harvey Bullock during this time too. Um, I, I obviously read about Harvey Bullock, you know, beforehand, but uh, Bullock and Montoya were getting more prominent to me picking up this Nightfall series, and um, I liked it. It was just this wonderful overload of characters that I never really knew before, and mainly through the villains. Um, You know, obviously we're establishing, you know, Batman's, you know, uh, friends and the GCPD and Batman and Alfred and Jean Paul, but just the villains themselves. I felt like every issue I was getting like the villain of the week, kind of like the Gotham TV show is trying to do, where you know I I never heard a film freak before. I never really read many stories with Zaz. Now, this is actually the first Zaz story that I had ever read in issue three, which the beginning of the podcast, you got to hear a little bit of that. And I like how Harvey has a little bit, a few things to say here. Say, so, you know, you better stay there, pal, because the next time you get out, I'll make sure there's no uh, cops around the corner. So Harvey's trying to give him a little what for. Um, like I said before, page seven has one of my favorite moments in the radio drama. And uh, that is with um, Scarface and Sucko. <laughs> my favorite line and I still say it every now and then especially if I see one of those ads for you know those lawyers on TV have you been hurt in a car accident and then I'm always going Mr. Denweiler attorney at law <laughs> I just I love that so there there's my little uh, voice <laughs> acting for you and just the the mental frame I, I always thought Scarface 
was a really, really cool uh, villain and one that I think is really kind of underused um, in Batman's rogues gallery that I would love to see uh, a Scott Snyder take con- uh, you know take control of the villain ventriloquist. Although I think in the new 52, uh, the ventriloquist is now a female um, and not that I'm opposed to them switching genders or something like that, but I, I liked this bumbling, quirky little guy that commands so much of so much respect because of his puppet. Um, that after a while, even even in a comic book frame, I think the ventriloquist works very well in the animated series. But I think even more so here, where you almost want to believe that the puppet or in this case, the sock is real. And I, I think Terrence and I talked about it before where I didn't like the ventriloquist as much when, you know, the puppet was magical. And I, I liked it more when it's very much a break in the ventriloquist personality that the puppet or his, you know, psychosis is taking over that the ventriloquist can't function, but at the same time is very lucid in dealing with Batman and it's always Scarface that's getting the ventriloquist in trouble. So uh, that's my you know love for the uh, ventriloquist character here. Um, and in the radio drama, they they play off uh, Mr. Detweiler you know very well here with uh, Asako. And it's uh, a one page uh, in and out just to kind of let you know what's going on with the ventriloquist. And you know later on, um, we'll see kind of the result of this meeting of why Mr. Detweiler is uh, so important to uh, the ventriloquist. But I thought it was a a fun little moment in the radio drama. And I think it plays even better reading the comic book after having listened to the radio drama. Uh, We get Simpson Flanders again going around his uh, talk show um, tour, as it were. Uh, This is very much a Larry King reference, I believe. We got a guy here with glasses and suspenders and is even pointing at the uh, guest that's on the show, something very much that uh, Larry King would do. So I like that little nod there. Um, And then going into page nine, we see Robin catching up with Bane and balanced uses of color and shadow on Robin. And that's one of those things that people say, oh, how can Robin really be effective wearing bright green and and yellow? And even though he's got the black cape with the yellow lining into it, Robin still hides very well staying in the shadow granny. He's going to poke out a little bit more. But I just love the look on the panels here of Robin, you know, sneaking around underneath the bridge, trying to listen to Bane and his men, uh, discuss what's going on. And I, I would have loved to see, uh, Ballant do more of the nightfall saga. I believe this is only his only appearance. I'll have to uh, double check as we go, uh, through the series here. Uh, you don't see it too much. It's usually always Batman that you see it on page 11, where Robin is activating his night lenses yeah, they call them night lenses in the uh, radio drama. They're calling them starlight lenses here in the comics, and I like that uh, they're green and they maintain that green uh, aspect. Batman seems blue because of his cowl, so Robin's is green. And that was something else, too, that after a while I always assumed that Tim Drake's mask was black, but it's actually green, and the black is there for the shadowing aspect. So this is one of the first times where I started realizing, hey, I think... Tim's mask is actually green, and you can see more of the green of the mask up in the uh, top panel in page 11. 
And then it's almost like right at the moment they're going in the tunnel where this is kind of showing the still the novice part. Uh, Batman probably would have had his lenses on just a little bit earlier. So he's probably not losing uh, the person he's tracking. So just about the moment that uh, Robin turns on his night lenses, Bane sneaks up behind him and instantly uh, Robin is captured by Bane. And then this is the scene where I was talking about that um, initially I didn't like as much when I first read it. And now I kind of uh, appreciate it on, on page 12. Uh, just the, the way that Ballant drew Batman here, that the light is affecting Batman from the flashlight where I thought, why is that bothering Batman? Why, why is, you know, Ballant drawing Batman this way? And he's kind of holding his shoulder. I think it bothered me because I was looking at a Batman that was hurt, was injured. You know, Batman's not supposed to be hurt and injured. Yeah, he could take a, a knife to the shoulder and it's not going to phase him because he's Batman. Um, the, uh, the writers in this, you know, Chuck Dixon and everybody involved were really showing and giving us a clue of what road Batman is going to go down. This is a Batman that is not going to stop. And I think that's why just this, these few images bother me. It's not that it's drawn poorly. It's they're conveying the image of, I think this is really something really bad is going to happen to Batman, even though we don't want to believe it. Uh, it has a little conversation here with Harvey Bullock. And uh, this is the first uh, chance where Batman is going back to try and meet Robin, where he told Robin, stay in the car. And of course we know, and page 13, Robin is finding himself on the top of a sewer, which this reminds me very, very much of Arkham Asylum and uh, Arkham City. Uh, more of Arkham Asylum uh, when you're in the video game and you're under Arkham Asylum and you're going through all the caverns and everything. You have the waterfall after going through Croc's Lair, um, playing Arkham Asylum, and then looking at this. Um, and that's just another tip to the hat to the guys at Rocksteady uh, doing the video game that those guys were obviously reading their comics and they knew, hey, Croc has this underground lair. And this shot here in 13, I think, is really cool with Bane on top of this little skinny bridge with Robin kind of kneeling down, uh, being blindfolded and his hands tied behind his back. Um, you know, you've walked across this bridge if you've played Batman Arkham Knight. Uh, just the way the pipes are going down and everything. Or excuse me, Arkham Knight, but Arkham Asylum. That re that really uh, even made me smile playing that game. I could go, that was an issue of Nightfall. And I remember, you know, pulling this out after playing that game and go, oh, ho holy crap, you know, they've got the layout right. So that was my, you know, fanboy reaction for Arkham Asylum. And uh, this is kind of the... The, the moment for Tim realizing, I think I bit off more than I can chew. Um, he's trying to listen to Bane, something he very much did with King Snake. And in, and in reading this going, okay, King Snake has turned the lights out. Tim's going to have to listen for the sounds of everything. And Bane is smart enough to know, I'm going to take you to this location where you're not going to be able to use any of your senses at all. Anything that Batman has trained you on. You know, he's a step ahead of Batman, and Robin is quickly finding out if he's a step ahead of Batman, he's 12, 12 steps ahead of me. And Tim is realizing he's not going to have that footing. And, you know, reading in this and getting, um, you know, way back when, 20 some odd years ago, reading this and knowing, oh, this is just like the fight with King Snake. And then you get the dialogue of Tim going, I can't hear over all this noise, and going, I don't think Tim's going to be standing over victorious over. Bane 
in this at this particular moment. And of course, uh, it's almost the shot right out of Robin one where, uh, Tim is making the, uh, kick towards King snake that he, you know, lands the blow to King snake. But in this case, Bane gets the, uh, grab on it. Uh, I love the series uh, that you see here going at the top of 16, uh, and the first panel going down to the long panel and then over to the right where Bane catches, uh, Robin's foot and is being held upside down. And then getting tossed to the uh, platform on 17, uh, this just had me going, oh, man, (laughs) Uh, how is Tim going to get out of this? And then, you know, kind of baiting Bane this whole time. And this is where I was going, you know, Robin, shut up. This guy is 10 times bigger than you are. And uh, (laughs) uh, Tim is probably at the point of going, you know what, if I'm going to die, I'm not going to go I'm not going to die like a chump. I'm going to die like a hero. And he's baiting him saying, uh, you can threaten me all you want, but I'm not going to help you against Batman Bane. He's like Bane. And then is telling him, you know, you need to really work on your breathing. And then to find out, Oh, it's killer croc. I thought it was Bane. And then Bane jumps down. Uh, this has got to be a moment where Tim is like, I really, really wish I would have listened to Batman and stayed in the car. I would not be here. And, and he's even telling himself as he's trying to get out of uh, his uh, ropes and uh, on the bottom of page 19 that uh, if he doesn't get out of this really quick, he's got to get his hands free. Uh, he's going to die. Um, and I like how Ballant drew uh, the last time we saw Killer Croc and Bane's fight. Uh, Bane broke both of Killer Croc's arms and you can kind of see the cast that are around Killer Croc's arms and uh, the shot. Uh, the series of shots here on 20 where Robin is grinning his teeth so hard that he's actually causing, you know, his gums or his inside of his jaw to bleed as he's trying to uh, rotate his body to be able to flip over to get out of his uh, ropes that are around his um, hand so he can get himself free before uh, the little catwalk collapses. And wouldn't you know it, of course, after uh, Robin gets his hands free and Bane re-breaks, uh, Killer Croc's arm again, which I would only imagine has to hurt uh, 10 times more, uh, getting it broken a second time. Uh, here are Killer Croc, Robin, and Bane falling into the water and getting sucked out uh, into the Gotham Harbor. And uh, this was one I was glad this was kind of like a bi weekly series. I only had to wait a week uh, to get uh, Batman 494 to kind of see what happens to Robin. And uh, knowing, geez, my favorite hero just bit off more than he can chew. So we'll go right into 494. And this is where, uh, if you've heard in the radio drama, that it kind of takes uh, some liberties in with uh, the story. And they kind of cut out a few things uh, in here. And we'll kind of go out together. Uh, Jim Aparo is back uh, penciling for uh, Batman and I've always liked Jim Aparo's uh, Batman and Robin. And I've kind of said before that uh, I don't think he really draws Robin's hair correct from um, how some of the other artists do it. It really kind of looks uh, unkept and doesn't quite get the spiky hair. And I'm um, sorry to offend all the Aparo fans. And trust me, I, I love Jim Aparo's uh, Batman and Robin, but I don't know what it is about uh, him drawing Robin's hair that I just really don't like. Um, 
But we see in the first of all, let's talk about the Kelly Jones cover. Uh, seeing Scarecrow come out of the shadows and the really long ears on Batman, and uh, some of us have said that you know Kelly Jones really takes some abnormal proportions with the way that he draws his characters. But it's a comic cover; it's supposed to engage you and supposed to give you just a sense of what the issue is going to entail. And we can see the one of the first major appearances of the Joker, other than the initial Arkham breakout. And uh, this was a an interesting pairing, having the Scarecrow and uh, the Joker work side by side. And uh, I really kind of liked that pairing. I would have liked to kind of seen uh, these two mismatched uh, criminals work together. I thought they... Uh, worked hand in hand very well. Uh, the inner splash page on Night Terrors, you can see uh, Killer Croc and Bane both getting swept away in the background, and Robin's in the foreground. You can tell there's a lot of water being uh, moved, and they're going through Gotham Harbor. Um, Robin's ever trusty staff pulls it out of his back and is able to brace himself. And Aparo does this very well throughout multiple panels of. Uh, on two, when Robin pulls his staff out from behind his back and uh, comes up out of the water, the staff is actually going up to the top panel uh, from the uh, second panel below. So I, I always liked it when they kind of break uh, the the panel lines and uh, just taking just different shapes in the panels to kind of move uh, motion and everything around and seeing Robin um, uh, retract the or extend the staff rather. Uh, up at the top of the grate so he can kind of get the Robin R, uh, which is a thing that after a while he would stop using the R insignia on his chest to be able to uh, use as a throwing star or as a, a batarang, uh, so to speak, or um, a grappling hook, and he does that here. And it almost looks like uh, he says on the top of page three, bingo, and so much for that uh, trusty staff of life. It's almost like he left it, so much like Batman's other uh, gadgets. Uh, there's probably staffs and batarangs just strewn throughout over Gotham City. That was something that I always thought was kind of interesting that I'm sure somebody on the black market could go around and start picking up uh, batarangs or staffs from Batman and Robin and going, you know what? Uh, this batarang hit me in uh, the middle of Crime Alley. You know, Batman busted me, but I got this batarang lodged in my forehead. And, uh, you know, this is going for $50,000. So <laughs> you would think that's something that I would imagine going through the black market trying to sell Batman's gadgets. I'm sure Batman is buying those back somehow and getting his money. But uh, I always thought Gotham City would probably be littered with uh, Batman gadgets all over the place. Am I the only one that thought that? Probably. Um, It took me a while here on page four to realize that this is the Scarecrow. Um, I did not think Jonathan Crane looked very... He's not very Jonathan Craney here, and I like the you know knock at the door. Who is it? Joe. Joe who? Joe Kerr, again, like you hear in the radio drama. Uh, I think when the voice actor that's playing the Joker is a little bit more subdued, I think he works. But once he gets the real high in speechy part or screechy part of the Joker, I don't think he quite encompasses the Joker as well. But it, it's serviceable, serviceable for the radio drama or whatever that word is. Um, I do think there's a little bit of an overlap here in either Bruce is very tired 
that, you know, he was looking for Robin, can't find him, and just assumes like, well, I'm going to go back to Wayne Manor. Wouldn't you go look for Robin at this point? And I had thought, you know, once Robin gets, you know, swept out into the harbor, that, you know, Batman would be there to pull him out and take him back to Wayne Manor. But uh, in that time from the meeting from the previous uh, issue with Bullock, he's gone back to Wayne Manor, got out of his bat bat costume, crawled into bed, and manages to talk to Chandra Consolving when Alfred comes in and say, you know, Master Tim's downstairs. So he's got to hang up with Chandra and go downstairs. Um, And then we get the little exchange between Mayor Kroll and Commissioner Gordon. And uh, I've always loved the way Aparo draws Commissioner Gordon. Uh, Looks very stern and very... Is the ideal Commissioner Gordon. I don't know if anybody out there watches a TV show, Blue Bloods at all, with Tom Selleck. But I could easily see Tom Selleck being Commissioner Gordon uh, in the newest Ben Affleck uh, Batman movie that will probably come in the next, you know, couple years or so. But uh, these three panels right here are four, actually of the meeting with Mayor Kroll and uh, Commissioner Gordon, I've seen that play out kind of sort of in the Blue Bloods TV series of where the mayor and the commissioner are butting heads. And in this, there is an all-out you know, assault in uh, Gotham City, and the mayor is basically telling Commissioner Gordon, you've got to do something here, or this is going to be the end of your career, and I, I will personally see that you... that. Uh, that I can destroy your career. It's going to happen if you don't get this in control and the look of concern on Gordon's face, knowing, well, you know, the dynamic duo are out there. I mean, that kind of sounds like the 66 TV series, you know, thank heavens for the dynamic duo, you know, but that thought is in the back of his mind. Like in a normal situation, Batman would have this all under control, but the Batman that I've seen recently, um, I don't know if he's going to have my back during this. So Gordon is kind of looking um, a little shocked here of the threat that um, the mayor is putting towards him of like, you've got to do something about this. And and more importantly, it's like, it's looking bad for me, the mayor. So the commissioner really has to, you know, step up his game. Uh, a shot that all of us Batman fans love is seeing the Tyrannosaurus Rex statue in the Batcave. And uh, I've always, I think I've said before, uh, Aparo's Batcave is something I always liked the way, the way he drew it. It looked nice and clean. And we see Tim here in the Batcave all huddled over a uh, nice hot water and getting more of the exposition that this is, again, somebody's first comic. So in case you missed uh, Detective Comics 660, this is a way of telling the reader, hey, Robin fought Bane and Killer Croc and barely got out by the skin of his teeth. And Batman is suiting up and Robin is trying to tell him, hey, I don't think you should do this. He's purposely trying to wear you down. And even Alfred is trying to uh, tell him that. Um, On page eight, I don't know what it is about this Alfred that uh, Aparo drew as much as I like his uh, Batman and Robin. This Alfred, I think just the way it's, I don't know if it's more of Aparo's pencils or if it's the inker that really over inked and shadowed Alfred. It just looks a little off. He looks a little homely here. Um, and a, a beautiful shot of Batman down on the, a page eight where he's pulling his uh, cowl down over his face and just the motion of the cowl coming down very fast. Um, and we get a little conversation here um, 
about Jean-Paul Valley and maybe even Robin even telling Tim, well, maybe if Azrael and I, you know, went out as Batman and Robin gave you a little bit of a break. And of course, this is not what uh, Bruce wants to hear at all. And this sends him out and it's gotta be, it's gotta be a little bit harder for Bruce knowing Tim is right, but I'm Batman. I have to go do this. Uh, I've been, I've been down before. I, I can rally through and then I'll get the rest I need. And of course we know that's not happening at all. Um, obviously, uh, I shouldn't say obviously, apparently during the fight with killer croc, Bane's venom tube, uh, got damaged or his venom supply was damaged. So we get a little bit of, uh, croc and, uh, zombie fixing, uh, Bane's, uh, venom tube. There's I'm forgetting uh, what I'm trying to say. Uh, this part was kind of cut out of the radio drama of Batman tracking down uh, the Scarecrow and kind of what's going on uh, with Commissioner Gordon, which this this part really seems a little out of context. I This was something, this particular issue, I had to read actually twice for the podcast. And if it doesn't sound like I quite know what I'm talking about, I think that's just partly due to the way the story was structured, that Batman is running off, and there's some references here. Uh, Terrence had even said this uh, before, that a lot of the riddles and clues that were in some of these early stories, there's no possible way us, the reader, could put put this together to maybe figure it out before Batman does and go, oh, well, this got brought up before. Th- this has got to be correct. You know, he's trying to find uh, Sterk here. And uh, this was somebody that I had zero idea who Sterk was and getting through, you know, historical uh, references of, you know, Kennedy and Lincoln and all of that stuff from Zaz uh, in the in the previous issue that us the reader are going, yeah, I, I never would have uh, pieced that together at all. I have a scarecrow coming in on page 11 uh, to the pool hall to get some information from, uh, appears to be one of the Joker's henchmen and from Stark to go, uh, up against commissioner Gordon and Batman randomly checking a garbage can here. Um, I could see why they left this whole chunk out of here. Um, I think the only part that's in the radio drama is Robin and Azrael having their little moment here of Azrael telling, uh, Robin that he's not going to fail again. He failed against Bane last time. He's going to be ready. And he is drawn very, very much like Bruce Wayne. If you color that blonde hair on page 15, black, that's Bruce Wayne. So that was something I always had a problem with more, I guess, from Aparo, uh, as he didn't draw Jean Paul that much differently than Batman. Um, Jean Paul's not going to have the square jawline that Bruce Wayne does. So that always kind of bothered me that I thought his Batman should look a little bit different, I guess, to commissioner Gordon, he probably should know, but if Jean Paul stayed in the shadow, he might not necessarily recognize or, or notice a difference in Batman. So again, we see Batman looking uh, for Stirk here. We see the little diary from Stirk here says, you know, about using the signal and a must use Gordon must die. And uh, Batman realizing he's got to get to the top of the GCPD and then fight Stirk. And uh, of course, 
the person that Commissioner Gordon sees is Batman, you know, getting ready, you know, punches him and pulling out a knife and it's actually Stirk. So uh, Commissioner Gordon has been affected by the fear toxin, which we don't see at all in this issue. And I have read this twice. So this had me going. I'm going back a couple pages here. We don't see the moment where Commissioner Gordon is affected. The last time we see Commissioner Gordon is page six. So we move to page 16 and somehow in that time span, Stirk or commissioner or uh, scarecrow has gotten to commissioner Gordon, sprayed him with some fear toxin somehow gets up to the top of the GCPD goes to light the signal to bring Batman here for what for Stirk to kill commissioner Gordon. Although the Joker is saying here, you're supposed to kidnap commissioner Gordon, not kill him. So I, I think this whole part um, was not handled very well uh, at all. And uh, normally Doug Mensch does a really good job of, you know, tying his story beats together. I don't know if going back and forth between Chuck Dixon and uh, Mensch that there was some miscommunication here. We have uh, Sarah Essen coming to the top of GCPD to take commissioner Gordon downstairs. Um, a nice pencil drawing by, uh, Aparo here on 20 is seeing Batman looking very tired and weary and the bass signal looks a little weary, you know, in the cloud. It's not the full bright, nice round bat signal. It's a little wobbly, a little warbly. So I think that's done deliberately. So if they can't get commissioner Gordon, who is the next best person that they can kidnap? It's mayor Kroll. And in the fear toxin of all the snakes and skulls stands the Scarecrow, and the Joker. And it says, Continued in Detective Comics 661, City on Fire. So, if I've done my homework correctly and I'm looking at them, we will be doing uh, Batman 661, 662, and then jumping, uh, we're skipping um, Batman, which would be, uh, we're, we're jumping, pardon me here, we're going to Part six, skipping seven, going to eight, and then going to part 11, Batman 497, which of course is the big one. It is the breaking of Batman. So we're going to take some sizable jumps here uh, rather soon to move the story along. Again, like I said, as much as I love the Nightfall series, that uh, this could be a really long uh podcast series, which would be cool. Uh, Nightfall is great, but I really want to move the story and the podcast along to get to the Robin series. And, you know, we'll be talking about the other books and issues in between. So that's going to wrap it up uh, for episode 31 of Robin. Everyone loves the Drake. I guess you can call this your Thanksgiving day episode as I believe this is getting released on Thanksgiving day. So thanks for tuning in, as you guys always have. I enjoy reading your comments. Um, I don't publicize it enough, but there is a Facebook page on Robin. Everyone Loves the Drake. You can just go to facebook.com slash everyone loves the Drake or search Robin Everyone Loves the Drake. Leave comments and questions in there for the podcast. I enjoy reading them. I'm going to try to be more interactive on the Facebook side of the page, um, as I have been with Robin or with Batman and Robin Eternal podcast Facebook page. So you can find us over there. Uh, you can get a hold of Terrence and I here at Robin Everyone Loves the Drake. Uh, for right now, uh, you can just email me at r one zero 
Myers, M-Y-E-R-S, at yahoo.com. And in the subject line, uh, title it, Robin, Everyone Loves a Drake. And I'll read your emails on air. I really appreciate uh, everybody listening to it. Um, I'm approaching my second year here on the Batman universe. So a big shout out to Dustin and everybody at the Batman universe. I really, really enjoy doing this podcast. This is one of my, my favorite things to do and getting a chance to uh, talk Robin with Terrence and some other guests that I've had on. Um, I'm debating about doing a Christmas episode. I've, I have something kind of in the works. Um, I would really like to do uh, the next part of uh, the nightfall saga. Uh, so I don't have, you know, a little bit of a lull there. So we'll kind of see what happens. There will be an episode in the month of December, maybe two, knock on wood. We'll see. But again, uh, thanks for tuning in and we'll see you guys in just a while. Take care. Thanks for listening to Robin, Everyone Loves the Drake Comic Podcast. This has been brought to you by the BatmanUniverse.net. Tim Drake, Robin, and all Batman-related characters are under copyright of DC Comics. This podcast is solely for entertainment purposes, and I am making no money from it. Much to the displeasure of my wife. Sorry, babe. So no infringement is intended by this show. This also applies to all music and sound clips, as they have their own copyright holders as well. You can now find this podcast on iTunes and Windows Media as well. There you can rate and leave a comment to the show and subscribe. I hope that you do. You can also find me on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash everyone loves the Drake. You can send a message there as well. If you'd like to email, you can do so by sending me one at r10myers at yahoo.com. That's R as in Robin, one zero. M-Y-E-R-S at yahoo.com and I'll read your emails on the air. Make sure that you head over to the batmanuniverse.net your home for all things Batman and Robin. Thank you for listening to the show and hearing why everyone loves the Drake. We'll see you in a few weeks. Take care. Say